Gabby, a big part of travelling the way we are is constantly making decisions about things we're going to do. Sometimes we do it, other times we don't. What we're doing tomorrow, this mountain we're going to climb, we were going to do it, then we weren't going to do it, now we are going to do it, but now I think maybe we shouldn't be doing it. But you've been wanting to climb Adam's Peak for years. This is something you really wanted to do when we got to Sri Lanka. Yeah, and I'm here now, and I was excited, but the thing is, we've had pretty good weather for the last six months. I think we've had like three days of rain, but right now it is pissing down. <laughs> 5,200 is a lot of stairs to walk in the rain. Mm. So if you don't want to do it, I'm happy for you just to make the call and we won't do it. No, we're definitely going to do it. I think if anything, the one thing that's probably putting me off is, um, what time is the alarm going off again, Nick? Two o'clock in the morning. Oh, to climb some steps in the rain. Thousands of steps. See you in the AM. You'll be happy to know that the rain stopped overnight and believe it or not, we survived the 5,200 steps all the way to the top of Adam's Peak. But we will get to that a little bit later in the episode. Welcome to Where Are You Taking Me? I'm Gabby Lyons. And my name is Nick King. As per usual, you can catch up with what we've been up to on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. If you want to see some of the stuff we're doing as well as listen at Where Are You Taking Me pod. Welcome to Sri Lanka. Hooray! Right now we're at Welagama, and as far as podcast recording locations go, this is about as good as it gets. Absolutely. <laughs> we're sitting on the top floor of one of the hostels. It's right by the beach. I'm just going to give you a moment's silence here just so you can appreciate our, uh, our view, so you can hear the waves. It's probably just the sound of tuk-tuks, really. Okay, so there's a road between us and the beach, and there's a little bit of traffic noise, but beyond that, I can assure you, there's an amazing beach, which you in your own right should be very jealous of. Yes, indeed. We'll put up some photos of Walagama. It's absolutely beautiful. And Walagama has very much been one of our favourite spots from all around the country, not only for the beach, but also the, uh, the pretty cheeky and charismatic people. Let's get started with today's episode. My name is Anuradha, Anuradha Bandara. I'm from uh, Waligama, Sri Lanka. Yeah, and she's my mom. She's also. Can you tell me a little bit about your store here and what you sell? Uh, we sell fruits, curd, buffalo curd. Many foreigners like buffalo curd and uh, honey. Kitul honey. It's very delicious. Curd with honey. It's yummy. <laughs> For breakfast, it's. Uh, yummy with banana, uh, oats, passion fruit. You've also got lots of different things on your fingertips at the yeah, moment. What have you been making? That's um, actually I'm having my breakfast. <laughs> Rice and curry. We sell it here. Rice and curry. So it's Sri Lankan uh, vegetables and fish with uh, red rice. It's tasty. <laughs> what kind of spices go into a lot of the foods in Sri Lanka? Spices are pepper, chili, but it's spicy. <laughs> cinnamon, cinnamon. Many foreigners like cinnamon. Turmeric. Turmeric is good for facials even. <laughs> so, uh, some Sri Lankan girls, they use it for facials. Yeah. Is it the spiciest food in the world, do you think? Uh, yeah, some here Waligama people are eating fish so spicy <laughs> so if a foreigner eat that <laughs> like so spicy fish with chili powder and all those so spicy 
So, so many foreigners when they go for a restaurant, they ask less spicy. <laughs> for every meal is usually rice and curry, and yeah. then curd for dessert, right? <laughs> yeah, curd for dessert. Uh, but my mom, she eats early morning. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> She's too busy with food. <laughs> when she go home at 10 o'clock, until 11:30 she eats. <laughs> Taking a tea, a big mug full of tea. Then later she reads the newspapers and everything. And uh, after a little while she eats uh, buffalo curd with honey. And later, after five minutes ago, she eats string hoppers. She's getting so fat. <laughs> everything she's taking at at evening, night, because she's busy here. So I'm saying her to diet at night. That's not good to eat too much at night, right? So I'm saying she's getting so fat. That's not good for the na. <laughs> so let's get down to the important stuff: food. I'm talking Sri Lankan food. And Gabby, before we say anything else, I just want to flash back for a moment to our Myanmar episode. I, I'm going to say it: Myanmar has had the best food of our entire trip thus far. So, with that in mind, what would you like to say about Sri Lankan food? I have to be really picky with my words here, don't I? Uh, <laughs> yes, I am holding you to account fully here. Okay, Sri Lankan food is pretty darn good. I would even say it is my favourite cuisine of our trip so far. Am I allowed to say that? Wow, we had to squeeze that out of you, didn't we? No. <laughs> Listen, like. Everywhere you go, you can pick up curry plates, which I guess I was craving curry, and you'd say like after a month maybe you'd get bored of that. But everywhere we go throughout the country or everywhere we've been, the curry has changed so dramatically from jackfruit curry, eggplant curry, dal, really really spicy okra curry. It's so different throughout the entire country, and I guess as the temperature changes, so does the flavour of all the spices, the turmeric, the saffron. It's such flavoursome food. I love it. On top of that, it's been refreshing after travelling five months through Southeast Asia, through uh, all the places we've done episodes from, from Laos, from Cambodia, Vietnam, to come to a place where there's a whole new cuisine for mm-hmm. us. That was like a real thrill after spending months and months of eating noodles. I've fallen in love with a dish called kotu, you have. which I'd never heard of before. So if you imagine a roti bread, which you might get in a, a Sri Lankan or an Indian restaurant, really thin bread, they use these like these blade things to chop it up basically into noodles. And the then, giant knives. Like, like big knives. Yeah. So they use them to chop up this roti into like tiny little noodle strands, and then they mix it through with chicken and vegetables and lots of chilli, of course. <laughs> and then they toss it up. on the, it's, it's a bit of a show to put on, but it is, yeah, it's my favourite. I'm going to miss it when we leave. It's a really colourful flavour palette in Sri Lanka, and I, I think the chilli is actually something I've been missing. There's no soy sauce anymore. It's green chilli that's in the sambal, it's in the parantha, it's in the roti, it's in the masala. Yeah, I've I've definitely tested my taste buds. (laughs) Bit of advice too, if you are coming to Sri Lanka and like us, you're travelling on a budget, if you go onto a number of websites like your TripAdvisor or Google, you look for reviews and you start searching for cheap eats, Mm -hmm. you're going to get restaurants that are created almost purely for Western people as the cheap eats, but Mm -hmm. they're not really. One of the ones we went to here was classified as a cheap eat. Their rice and curry was about... 700 rupee mm. and we went into some of the local joints and they're like 100 rupee yeah. 150 rupee and they've been just as good if not better yeah you have to give up on the review system and really just step out onto the street to find the best food i think 
Yeah, and you know the places to go too because there are local people streaming in and out. Another interesting thing about Sri Lankan culture is that eating isn't really an event here, it's a necessity. No. You'll go to a local restaurant, your food will come out in a matter of minutes, you'll eat it, and then you'll be gone again, quick yeah. smart. Yeah, there's no brunch, there's no sitting around, there's no dwelling over coffee and long conversations. It's an in and out deal, and I love it, I totally appreciate it. Another thing, a uh, suggestion, if you're going to pay for food oh, in a you go. restaurant, yeah, it's all coming back to me now, <laughs> is if you're going to pay for food, try and go with exact change. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, were in, we were in Ella a couple of weeks ago, and we had a meal there, a breakfast meal, and we were owed 10 rupee change. But instead of getting an actual coin, we were given change in the form of bananas. Yes. Great if you like bananas, <laughs> but if you really want that money back, try and pay in exact dollars. Yeah, the bananas were very good, but I don't know if they were worth 10 rupee. <laughs> now, if we were to look at a little bit of a map as far as Sri Lanka goes, when you do look at the island of Sri Lanka, it kind of looks like a little teardrop just dropped there in the Indian Ocean just below India. Now, we can say from our experience, it really isn't as little as it looks. As much as we were tempted to just be beach bums for the entire month, we actually spent a fair bit of time in the centre of the country. In the hill country where the temperature drops considerably, we went and bought beanies. They were great for three days. <laughs> uh -huh. Now we're stuck carrying them around. <laughs> but it was well worth it. It really is the perfect climate up there for growing one thing, their biggest export. Mm, have you heard of uh, Cylon tea before? There's nothing more British than a nice cup of tea, but they can't grow it back in the mother country, so who's fueling their national obsession? Hello Sri Lanka! You probably know the iconic image, an older Sri Lankan woman dressed in bright yet worn in colours, bags strapped to her brow, appearing only from the waist up, plucking leaves by hand in the tea fields. Plantations blanket the nation, so we stop by Bluefields, just outside of Nuarelia, to find out how big the tea business really is. Uh, we have 200 acres for our tea plantation. Uh, daily we produce in 1,000 kilogram average of 1,000 kilogram. Every day they pluck in, uh, each uh, ladies have plucked 20 kilogram per day, and uh, they pluck in uh, 150 tea packets we have. 20 kilos a day? Uh, normally they pluck in because of they earn more money. Mm -hmm. They try to more pluck in. How old is the factory? 97 here? years. There's a piece of machinery in there that you said has been there since day one, is that true? Yeah, we have a dry machine uh, still uh, 97 years coming from machine. Does it never break down? It's sometimes breaking down. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't talk about that. Do <laughs> it's in nature. Normally it's breaking, we again repair and we do yes. Again, the process do it. <laughs> so the ladies pick the tea, they bring it into the factory. Yes. How long until it goes from being the leaf until it's a product that you can sell? Two days gone. Black tea after coming in, in the process, six varieties. We have another factory, green and white tea. We expect only the producing black. Uh, I mentioned uh, earlier there's a uh, Dilma, Silonta, Lipton, like this company. They buy from auction of tea mm -hmm. and they blend in and uh, mix in and adding flavoring and doing fancy packing and put their name and export it all over the world. Shiny packaging, tea herbal infusions and those pyramid shaped bags that never float about the way they do in the commercials. That's all fancy western rubbish. We wanted to find out how the people that grow the tea enjoy a cup themselves. 
We like stronger taste. BOPF we yeah. like with milk and sugar. How many cups a day do you reckon we you normally, drink? We normally three cups daily. Yeah. We morning, early morning we have to do with milk and sugar, but daytime so without milk also we drink. Mm -hmm. uh, or at least uh, four cups, three between. <laughs> and why is Sri Lankan tea the best tea in the it's world? A, yes, it's a Sri Lankan is the best because I think it's a climate like this reason also maybe. Sri Lankan is a famous, Ceylon tea is a famous world. So is it fair to say you're a tea person, not a coffee person? Sri Lankan mostly tea is uh, based normally. We, when we sick, we drink the coffee. Gabby, something we underestimated by a very long shot was the prevalence of religion in Sri Lanka. For the most part, Buddhism is the ruling religion here, but there are so many others that are all working hand in hand and quite often in the same community, and it's a really beautiful thing to watch. Yeah, even here in Walagama, at one corner you might find a Christian church, but around the next corner there's a really beautiful mosque, and I mean the mosques in Kandy were architectural feats. Stunning. They were stunning, and it may very well mean that on Friday mornings you can't go anywhere because all the shops are closed, all the restaurants are closed. It's probably worth checking in with whoever's running your guest house or accommodation. Like, what are the on and off days dependent on the religion in your community? Because we went out one day for breakfast and came home very, very hungry. <laughs> That's just it. Things may or may not open depending on prayer days or festival days. We mentioned Adam's Peak at the beginning of this episode. And although in off-season it is the perfect opportunity for travellers like us to climb the stairs and watch the sunrise from 1,600 metres above sea level, and you can genuinely see the curvature of the earth... In pilgrimage season, however, which kicks off in early December, hundreds and thousands of people from all different religions, be it Hindu or Buddhist or Christian, hike to the top of Adam's Peak as an act of worship. And it's a totally magical example of how the religions intertwine in this country. Hiking to the top of Adam's Peak is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. It was so hard. So you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning Yay. and then you walk up stairs which get uh, steeper. Mm -hmm. bigger, slipperier <laughs> for about three and a half hours. If you're lucky, you make it to the top at 5.30 in the morning, just in time for the sunrise. Saying that, though, like I said, the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Mm. And even if you're not super fit, like neither are we, yeah. still give it a go. There were people in their 60s and 70s doing it and just taking their time, and every single one of them got there. Yeah. Couldn't recommend it enough. By the time we got to the top and cheers our lemon puff biscuit... I was feeling pretty accomplished. I was pretty happy with myself. Yeah, everyone's got to have their own motivation, and the lemon <laughs> puffs definitely helped me get to the top. I am super proud of both of us when we got up there. I almost I thought I was going to shed a tear because I genuinely thought we weren't going to make it. I no. thought I was going to quit several times over, and we didn't. Even though I'm still a little bit sore now, I definitely would like to come back to Sri Lanka in time for pilgrimage season so that we could be a part of that ceremonial hike. I would do it again because I know it would be a completely different experience. Yeah. If you are hiking in the pilgrimage season between December and May, a couple of general rules. Uh, one, don't go on a weekend. Two, don't go on a holiday. And three, leave earlier. Leave at midnight if you actually want to get to the top. Otherwise, you might find yourself a couple hundred stairs from the top and it is just sardines. You're not mm. getting through. In order to find out a bit more about religion and how it all works in this country, we caught up with a friend of ours named Sanjay in Warelia. He gave us an insight into how multiple religions work within his community. 
the majority would be Sinhalese, which is uh, Buddhism actually, and then uh, Tamils, who are Hindus, and uh, Christianity is there as well. So we have three main religions and a lot of people who come into the country to uh, work here. So we have a lot of religions. Are these religions all throughout the country, or will you find from north to south it will change? No, they are really spread abroad, but uh, mostly in the north is uh, considered a Hindu area, a Tamil area. Jaffna has been... Uh, over the years, all the Tamils used to live there and uh, they're different from the Indian Tamils and that's how the war came about and because they fought saying they were here before and singly saying that it's a Singhalese country, which it is. The majority is Singhalese, but uh, it's about the right. Do all the different religions work in harmony with each other or are there small issues between different towns and different cities? Uh, you could say that in areas which are more developed, you wouldn't find any problems. For example, I come from an area which has both uh, Sinhalese and uh, Tamils and we never have a, an, uh, an argument uh, about race. We never had that problem. We There was no one who comes to say, uh, to say it's a Sinhalese area, who the hell are you, or anything like that. But... Uh, I have noticed problems like that in more rural areas. Uh, so yeah, you could say there is still some hatred uh, in certain people's minds, but uh, you c not really in my generation, uh, not the young crowd. So what does that mean for people coming to Sri Lanka? Do travellers need to look out for anything or be a little more culturally aware when it comes to constantly changing religions all across the country? In my opinion, no one's going to argue with, uh, no one's going to create a problems with you in, if you talk about this topic it's not really a sensitive topic anymore but you might find people scolding the other race maybe in like i told you in a more rural uh, rural area but uh, there's no issue as such nothing you have to look out for is religion really the crux or really important to the culture of sri lanka if you ask my personal opinion i'd yeah. say culture and religion is a totally different thing you can stay out of a religion and still have that culture so um, in my opinion, I, it doesn't really matter to me because uh, I see, for me, I see everyone the same way. And if when it comes to culture, mm, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe religion is important because it's such a uh, set of rules that make up the culture. Yeah, maybe if uh, it is not taken that seriously, it would have, it would be more peaceful. You know? So maybe religion does do both. Sanjay was a real gem to fill us in with everything that we needed to know as we travelled around Sri Lanka, be it religion, tuk-tuk drivers, best times to catch the train. But when we were researching Sri Lanka before arriving, we stumbled across something that was a little bit concerning when it came to women travelling by themselves and solo travellers in general. The lines were just a little bit blurry. A couple of blogs and some places we sourced information from suggested even as a couple it's probably worth wearing some fake rings, back that up with a genuine story just in case. The idea being you basically want to divert any unwanted attention from men to women so we took that on board and did everything we could. We had the yeah. rings, we had a backstory, haven't had to use it yet but <laughs> we had it there just in case. How did you find it? As the obviously female in this couple, <laughs> were there any incidents, were there any uncomfortable moments? I guess from my side, and I recognise that maybe I was a little bit hypersensitive after Yangon. If you listened to our Myanmar episode, you would have heard me saying I felt very stared at. Being a ginger, it's uh, pretty hard not to. And I've been in the sunshine, so it's even redder than normal at the ginger moment. Ginger plus. Ginger plus. <laughs> but actually, I felt really comfortable in Sri Lanka. I have had one moment where a gentleman waited until you had buggered off to buy us some train tickets and he sat really close to me with a baby and asked me if I was married. I quickly said yes 
and you rocked up at the perfect time and he, he hightailed it, didn't he? He bolted. I've never <laughs> seen someone move so fast. But other than that, there was even one gentleman that I was sat next to on the bus who struck up conversation with me and one of his main questions was, have the people been nice to you? Are you enjoying my country? Do the people act nice? Are they generous? He had a lot to say for just how proud he is of Sri Lanka and I think that the people want that then reflected to their tourists and their travellers as well. So this has been our experience, but we caught up with two other travellers. Victoria, she's travelling with her partner Corey, and also Vera from the Netherlands. She's been travelling solo. We wanted to find out if they'd taken on any of the warnings that we'd read about, or if they had any advice for women travelling throughout Sri Lanka. I hadn't heard the getting the ring and making up a fake boyfriend story. I hadn't heard any stories at all about Sri Lanka, in fact, so I wasn't too fussed when we came here. Plus, I travel with my boyfriend, so I think I wasn't worried about it, but I have heard that other people have been worried, other women, and I think it's understandable as a woman when you're traveling somewhere you want to be safe you don't want to be harassed uh, but I think it's not necessary in Sri Lanka it's a bit overkill to have a ring and have a fake boyfriend or husband waiting for you yeah I travel by myself and it's the first time and I saw a few vlogs on YouTube and girls were talking about you need to wear a ring and um, but I was not that worried about it. I was thinking okay I will see and if it's necessary then I can do it there but no, I don't think it's necessary because maybe men looking at you, but when you ignore them or be directly to them when you're not interested, then I think it's fine. Vera, you're like, you're not pale right now. You're rather tanned from being down on the beaches, yeah. <laughs> but you've got bright green eyes and blonde hair. Like, I hate to say it, but in this sort of environment, I'm a redhead. We stand out like a sore thumb. Have you noticed anyone looking or coming up to you? Have you had any of those experiences? No, I don't have that experience looking at you and staring at you, but I think it's um, a little bit of the culture here, like the people doing it here, and it's not... Yeah, sometimes it feels a little bit uncomfortable, but... I don't make eye contact back and then it's good I think and you feel a little bit different because the girls here are black hair and it, yeah exactly what you said I'm blonde and different than the girls here but no I feel fine yeah I do and how about from boyfriend's point of view Victoria has Corey noticed anything or have you guys been kind of cruising through I think he said that it's noticeable but we've had it everywhere we've traveled as well europe asia when i was in south africa i got a lot of stares like it's not just sri lanka it's everywhere basically that we get stared at and i think that's just par for the course and it shouldn't be but it is so i think Corey hasn't really noticed it excessively here but sometimes there have been just like one or two men that we've noticed really taking a stare not not at us per se but at other women on the beach or something like that and you just have to ignore it I think um, otherwise you spend your whole trip angry <laughs> religion is so integral to the culture of Sri Lanka and I mean you've got such a varied mixture of very different religions have you at any point in time felt like that has influenced the way you've dressed in certain towns or the way that you've been seen in public no I don't think so yeah only about the temples but you know you know that you uh, need to wear like you cover your knees and your shoulders then you know it when I'm walking in the, in the town, I wear like a, a short, not the short shorts, you know, but and a t-shirt or, um, yeah, I think it's, it's good enough. For anyone who is at home or any other women who are traveling the world right now, if they were looking at Sri Lanka and thinking to themselves, oh, maybe this isn't for me, would you have any advice for them that would counteract that? Or what would be your advice to women traveling through this part of the world? 
don't be scared have some common sense the same as you would any other country but it's such a beautiful place the locals are really friendly the food's fantastic I just you'd you'd be missing out yeah come yeah I think you said everything what I want to say please come it's beautiful don't stay home please come to Sri Lanka I love it here yeah it's great Listen closely, I'm not sure if you can hear that irritating jangle in the background, but what it is, it's the bakery tuk-tuk. Of course it is. He comes around about three times an hour and parks outside every building in town and plays his little song until you buy all his bread and you can go home at the end of the day. (laughs) Very long segue, but a great way for us to start talking about transport. Hooray! Sri Lanka, it's, you look at it on the map, right? It's not a huge place, it's quite a small island. But getting around does take a bit more effort. Unlike other places we've been to, especially like Vietnam or Laos, Cambodia, they've all got designated tourist travel options. Minivans, buses to get you from A to B. But you're not going to find that here. It's public transport all the way, baby. Yeah. Predominantly, we've actually been utilising trains and public buses. At first, they were pretty intimidating to jump on a train. And yes, I actually mean jump. The men and women literally hurl their bodies into the open doors before the trains have even stopped. Try doing that with a backpack, kids. It doesn't work. It does not work. Not to mention then trying to find a seat. We settled for train doorways on pretty much all of our train trips up until the point where we realised if you buy the cheap seats in third class, it's heaps cheaper and you always get a seat. And the guys with samosas walk around. I'm sorry, win-win. So if you go to buy your ticket for the train as a tourist, they're automatically going to sell you second class. And even if they don't, you're probably going to get second class anyway because you think you're going to get a better service. Or a cushy seat. You're not going to get either of these. You're going to get to stand in the doorway, near the toilet, with the door that doesn't shut properly, and you get to smell it. Yep. Most Sri Lankan people will take third class, and because there's so many more of them... They're getting on and off at all the small stations, whereas in second, everyone's going from the big stops. So there's a much better chance that you'll get a seat. I reckon third class all the way. Save yourself a few rupees and just do it. It's not nearly as bad as you think it'll be. Mm-mm. If you want to try pre-planning a bit of your train travel in Sri Lanka, or you just want to get a better understanding of how it works, there's a fantastic website. It's called Seat 61, S-E-A-T-6-1. The fellow that set it up, he's put on timetables. There's photos of what second and third look like an approximation of what costs will be. So when you get to the station, it, he will guide you through the process. Yeah. So he wipes out the intimidation factor. I couldn't recommend it enough. I've got it bookmarked on the front of my phone because we use trains all of the time. Trains are one thing. Buses, though, are a completely different story. Mm-hmm. They're cheap, they're fast, but they're pretty uncomfortable, Gabby. Something that we took pretty much the entire month to figure out is the difference between red and blue buses. Red buses are government-owned buses, like your general public bus. The blue buses are private-owned. What this means is they go faster. They're usually pretty pimped out on the inside. They'll have colourful patterns everywhere, beautiful satin-ish, gross curtains, and usually a TV at the front blaring their favourite tunes. I think it's pretty much driver's pick. Whichever artist they want to listen to for the next five hours of your bus journey, you'll have to endure. I said it's uncomfortable, and it is, but it's all part of the Sri Lankan experience. (laughs) And again, not worth being intimidated about. No. If you go to any bus station to go anywhere, before you can find the bus you need to get on, somebody will come and help you. Yeah. Every single time, somebody will come and help you. And when you get on the bus, 
They have a ticketed system as well, so the driver will come around and he will say, where are you going? You'll tell him, he'll print you a ticket with the price. So most of the time, you won't get ripped off because yeah. you know where you're going, it's all official, it's not a driver's estimation of what the ticket should be worth. It's yeah. all pretty above board and buses run so frequently, you can find them everywhere. Yeah, where the trains are kind of like a spiderweb across the country and only run at very precise times, the buses are plentiful. You know you will get to your destination if you're going to catch a bus. Once you get on one, you'll get on dozens of them. They are super easy mm-hmm. and for the most part pretty safe. All right, there is one other way to get around, which is particularly useful if you're planning to come to Sri Lanka to jump surf beaches along the south. That's the tuk-tuk. But you won't need to heckle over 100 rupees here, 100 rupees there. In fact, with a little bit of planning, there is a way that you can take a tuk-tuk for a spin for as long as you like. Three wheels, no doors, but loads of character. Here in Sri Lanka, the humble tuk-tuk is the king of the road. Every man and his dog has got one, and if he hasn't got one, it's probably because he lent it to his brother, or his cousin, or his uncle. But that's beside the point. If you want to hit the road in a tuk-tuk of your very own, well now you can. Here's Brett from tuktukrental.com on why he thinks Sri Lanka by tuk-tuk is the only way to go. It is the best way to get around, actually. Sri Lanka's just full of goodies. Waterfalls, safaris, surf spot, beaches, mountaintops, and driving around a tuk-tuk is the best way to get around. It's, it's definitely a working-class vehicle. It's what all the locals use to get from A to B, and it's just the best way to get in touch with locals as well because they are really entertained by seeing you as a tourist driving around in, in their local transport. Um, but for a tourist, it's very unique. You don't see tuk-tuks that often in the Western world, so it's just a cracking experience for tourists to come here and, and drive a tuk-tuk around. You'd be surprised how versatile they are, how, how they can get over those rough roads, get through those smaller roads that you couldn't get in a car. So yeah, they are the perfect vehicle for this country, definitely. There's tens of thousands of tuk-tuks on the road right now in Sri Lanka, so they can't be that hard to drive, right? If only we had, say, a master coach at hand to reel in my confidence. Firstly, do you mind if I grab your name, please? I'm Chatura Jayadilika from Tuk Tuk Renter. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Chatura, how long have you been Maybe helping with tuk-tuks? Near, nearby <laughs> Two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many lessons does that mean? Maybe 450 more than. Has anyone gone really wrong? Because I'm half expecting that Nick might be the worst one yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> is it hard to operate the No, t- this is very easy. This is uh, same as like a motor bicycle. Yeah. So first uh, I'll sh- show you everything. So yeah. after that you can... Alright, let's do it. <clears throat> Chatterer loaded me up with heaps of info on how to drive and maintain the tuk-tuk. Now I just had to prove that I was listening to every single word. Only this position you can start the engine. Okay, now start the engine. Turn. Turn this one. Turn the key. Turn the key. Gas a little bit. One millimeter. Okay. Yes. Now press the clutch. Yep. And compose gear. Ten times, pick up and stop. Pick up and stop. Then after that you can have a clutch balance. Okay? Gotcha. Yeah. You got this, Nick. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, little bit speed. And go third gear. Down. Down. Yes. Okay. Is that kind meant to happen? And brakes, 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 brakes. Now change the gear. Second. Okay. Again, okay, start. So what did I do then? <laughs> no, that's not. Speed is not enough. Again, start the engine. 
Every learner has a couple of bunny hops, Nick. That's normal. Thank you. <laughs> Trust me, I got way better at this very quickly. In all reality, tuk-tuks are super simple to operate, plus a hell of a lot of fun once you get going. The experience, though, it isn't just about you. In fact, the longer you spend in the driver's seat, the more you're supporting local Sri Lankan families. Again, here's Brett. So we've been around in Sri Lanka for two years now. Um, started out, out of an apartment, basically, with one tuk-tuk supplier partner, a local Sri Lankan here. So we take those tuk-tuks from local owners and rent them to tourists. Us giving it to a tourist allows them to earn extra income on top of their normal job, put food on the table, put their kids to school. We're a social enterprise. We give lots of support to local Sri Lankans. And so far, it's been a success. Today, tuktukrental.com is supporting 55 partners and their families, for that matter, and have put more than 90,000 US dollars back into the community just by letting morons like me get behind the wheel. I mean, handlebars. How do you think he did? No, he's very good. He had a good cut balance and he can gear change in his very smoothly. Mm -hmm. So I think he's a pop driver. Yeah. Yeah. So if I was in the back of a tuk-tuk for a month around Sri Lanka, yeah. would I be safe? Yeah, I think you're safe. No yeah. problem. I'm glad I've got that on record. <laughs> <laughs> Don't keep your mum happy. <laughs> If we could have our time over again, I totally think we would have grabbed a tuk-tuk to whip around mm -hmm. Sri Lanka. It's an awesome endeavour too, if you really want to support the local community here. We'll share some of our snaps of our tuk-tuk driving lesson on Instagram at Where Are You Taking Me Pod, in case you forgot the name of the show that you are currently listening to. Otherwise, if you just have a quick Google for tuk-tuk rental in Sri Lanka, I'm sure you'll come across the team there. Whether you love cricket or you think a test match is just a great waste of five days, you can't deny the sport's influence on Sri Lankan culture. You can take the train from Colombo to Matara and you'll see kids playing in backyards. If you stroll along the beach at Weligama, there will be countless matches taking place every day. Cricket is a religion here. If the locals aren't playing it, they're watching it. And if they're not watching it, you can bet they're probably still thinking about it. So if you get the chance to see an international match in your travels, here's why you should go. The atmosphere at the ground is electric, especially from the Sri Lankan kids. It's also super cheap to get a ticket. Gabby and I paid about 300 rupees each to go along, and that's less than you'll pay here for a rice and curry. And even if that doesn't fit in your budget, you can visit Gaul on a match day and sit on top of the old fort. It'll cost you nothing, and to be honest, the view's better than the paid seats. Plus, if you're lucky enough to be there when Sri Lanka take on England like we were, you'll almost definitely come across the notorious supporters group, the Barbie Army. Going to see the cricket was pretty high on my must-dos whilst we were here, and I was incredibly lucky, and this was not planned, even though, you know, you're giving me that side-eye. I was super lucky to be able to see an international match between England and Sri Lanka. This was the first time you've been to the cricket ever. 
not naturally a cricket fan, but did you have fun? I did have fun. <laughs> You're such a cricket fan now. I'm such a cricket fan. Every time a guy walked around trying to sell me a cricket hat, the big white-brimmed thingy bobs that had Sri Lanka on it, I was like, I want one! Do I need one of those? Do I need one? <laughs> Not to mention, I have never seen a beer snake before attending the cricket. Not only in Gaul, but then again in Candy, the snake returned. It is such a huge part of the culture here. I couldn't recommend getting amongst it enough. If you you haven't picked up on the vibe of this episode, we really enjoyed our time here in Sri Lanka. It has been incredibly relaxing at moments and exciting at others. We really don't want to leave. If only that was an option. Mm -hmm. It's pretty classic us, actually. We never really want to leave any of the countries that we visit, but I think Sri Lanka will definitely be on the top of our return list. We met a couple here, actually, that felt exactly the same way, but the difference was they turned their holiday destination into their home. So we're both working in London. Um, we met working in London in a job there, doing the nine to five. But I was kind of pestering him since the moment we met, like, I want to go travelling again, I want to go travelling again. But we kind of got caught up in working in London, as you do, for another kind of two, three years. And then we're just sitting one day in Josh's home in Cambridge, and we're like, what are we doing? Like, we're not enjoying ourselves. We're not really into the jobs we were doing. And there's so much more out there that we're just doing the same thing week in, week out, doing this same pub, same bars, and the same people. And it was just kind of there and then, wasn't it? Josh was just looked at me and was like, let's just go. Let's just, let's just do it. Does this story sound a little too familiar? The couple you're about to meet have a very relatable story. They packed their lives into a backpack and set off. The major difference, they found a way to never go home. Um, what did I say? My name's Charlotte. <laughs> From England, originally London, but obviously now living in Wellagama, Sri Lanka. I'm Josh, I'm from Cambridge, and we are currently sat on our balcony of our very new hostel in Sri Lanka. Charlotte and Josh had been travelling for about 16 months, selecting countries off the beaten track, countries they'd never heard of, or countries drenched in culture. As a result, they took their time. Six weeks here, three months there. But Sri Lanka came as a bit of a surprise. We never actually ever planned to come to Sri Lanka and it wasn't really even somewhere that we knew much about, wasn't really on our like map when we first left. Um, so we both had a big kind of obsession with India. Super interesting going and we knew we wanted to spend a lot of time there. So that was one of our main things. We spent six months travelling around India. Just before we got there, some of our best friends from back home in London had booked their kind of like two-week vacation to come to Sri Lanka for Christmas. And they said like, come and meet us. Obviously you'll be in India. We're in Sri Lanka. It's so close that you have to come. We told them we couldn't come. Like, oh, sorry guys. Like, it's just a bit expensive. And then we thought... Do you know what? This is ridiculous. We're on a once-in-a-lifetime thing. We haven't seen our friends in months. Let's just go. Screw it and go. Um, so, yeah, super fun. We spent the next few weeks with them, and we travelled around um, Sri Lanka and just kind of, yeah, just fell in love with it then and there, really. We were going back to India afterwards. We were trying to leave Sri Lanka after the month we'd just spent with our friends and then Christmas, New Year, to go back to India. So we went to the airport and got to the airport, tried to get on our flight to India. They said, where's your outward flight? So they were like, you can't get on the flight without booking a ticket. So I'm there, no internet on the phone, no data. I run through the airport looking for a counter to buy a like, cheap or fake ticket. So we ended up booking the flight, which was you know, ridiculously expensive because we did it at the airport, for four months after India. As life would have it, <laughs> we had to book a return flight to Sri Lanka. 
Hello, who's there? Ah, yes, it's me. Um, Fate. We worked in India in hostels for two months and loved it, absolutely loved it, and, but just too hectic, too manic, couldn't live there, too corrupt, you know, all the normal stuff. It was never really on our minds that we would start a business in any of the countries. And then after we worked in India in the hostels, we kind of got a feel for it and we're like, oh, this is quite a pretty cool lifestyle, like, pretty amazing. I always wanted to own a hostel since I was 18, but seven years in London stopped that from happening. Coming back to Sri Lanka, we kind of realised the business opportunity here in terms of how quickly it's developing and how many backpackers are now coming, how many travel companies are all telling everyone to come to Sri Lanka. We actually volunteered for another hostel in Sri Lanka and then we were like, we can do this, like, come on. We've got just got to give it a go, it's now or never, like, we don't have anything to go back to. Didn't want to go back. Charlotte and Josh had stayed in their fair share of hostels at this point. For the most part, it had been pretty easy to tell the good from the bad, and occasionally, the really bad. We stayed in one place. It wasn't a hostel so much as like a guest house, but you know, you walk in and it's super cheap, but there's blood all over the walls and you're staying in like a flea infested pillowcase and the sheets which were white are now black. Kind of crazy, but we were like, suck it up, we're only staying for a night. As soon as the door kind of like shut, a chainsaw started and Charlotte had gone to have a shower. So I was lying on the bed and then <laughs> chainsaw starts, Charlotte's in the shower, there's blood all over the walls. She thinks she's going to come back to some kind of chainsaw massacre, hostile film situation where I've been decapitated by this chainsaw. And then it's literally like the walls are shaking and I'm just like, oh my God, what's happening? But uh, Charlotte runs back in from the shower and then luckily it stopped and we survived. But yeah, it was one of those moments where you're like, oh, oh man, this could end really badly. So now Charlotte and Josh knew what they wanted. It came down to the nitty-gritty, the legal stuff, business plans, returning home to save, etc, etc. They weren't going to let go of this dream, bringing the Spindrift Hostel to life. What is your life in Sri Lanka like? What is it like to call this home? Uh, busy at the moment. Uh, don't really have a life right now. No, I'm joking. Yeah, it's amazing. I think it all still feels a little bit surreal. I don't know. We obviously came back and worked super hard every day to try and get the place ready. So everyone's like, oh, you're living the dream, which we totally are. But we're like, oh, you get to go to the beach, live by the beach. We're like, yeah, we haven't been to the beach in three weeks. So we haven't even left the house. But um <laughs> it's worth it for kind of getting the place ready and now getting people through the doors and there's moments where we kind of stop and if we'll go out for a coffee or something we're like can you believe that we're actually doing it can you believe that that's our hostels and i'm just waking up in the sunshine and the palm trees every day and just coming out of our room and that's it we're in our hostel it's, it's a big contrast from you know commuting in london i think we're very very grateful for that every day it's the million dollar question for any other couple traveling out there or other travelers in general how can you not go home? What do you need to do to be able to choose somewhere else in the world yeah. to make your own? 
find something you're passionate about. Like neither of us had any idea when we left to go travelling that this is where we'd end up. We just knew that we didn't want to be doing what we were doing in London. It wasn't something we were interested in. It wasn't fulfilling. And I think it's just go back, find what you're passionate about. You use travelling to kind of do that and then you won't ever regret it. Yes, it's a big risk. It's a risk just to give up everything and go travelling, but I've never met anyone yet who has regretted it. Not taking the risk and going for it would be a hundred times worse than doing it and failing. And there's no luck involved. You plan, you have a process, you understand the country, you decide on where you want to go and you you go and just do it. We take a decision to change our lives completely and throw it upside down, but for a good reason. And yeah, to never have given it a go would be our biggest regret. Like jobs will always be there, but opportunities like this come around once in a lifetime. So. Charlotte and Josh are really great people and we take our hats off to you. You've taken that leap and it's absolutely huge. As much as you're living the dream, we can see how hard it was for you to make that dream a reality. So well done. You are absolutely killing it and we are only 90, maybe 99% envious of the position you guys are in right now. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you need anyone to uh, come and help out over summer, just remember our names. Call me. <laughs> I love Sri Lanka. I know, I can tell. <laughs> I keep saying it I think all I, the time. Yeah, I, I think, love it too. Okay. I think I've actually managed to say that to you every day mm. for the last month. Do you think? At least once. At least once. And Sri Lanka is becoming a very popular destination for beach lovers and culture vultures alike. I can't help but think that in the next 18 months, the country will just boom with travellers. It's really, really gorgeous, and we can't wait to come back in the near future. Nick, do you have any favourite experiences? Something we did do, but we didn't get to mention in the podcast episode, was to visit the Lion Rock. Mm. It's traditionally known as Sigaria. It's right in the middle of the cultural triangle, and I don't want to give too much away, but it is well worth checking out online. And if you do come here, go out of your way via Candy to do it, because it was, it was an amazing day. Pack your hiking boots. <laughs> Just a tip. What about you? I think for me it would have to be Adam's Peak, which I know we've already discussed a number of times in the episode today, but it was the most challenging thing I have ever done, but also the most fulfilling and satisfying. Like I said, I would absolutely do it again once my muscles stop cramping and then and you told me not to give this away but we went to a beach that was really really special and probably the prettiest beach I've ever seen in the world called Harikatiya Beach it's a little more pricey in the area but for someone who's coming to Sri Lanka for surfing I think it had the very best waves that I have ever caught something we'd like to point out too is that we've been in Sri Lanka for a month and we've seen I reckon less than half of the country I think we've seen maybe slightly more than a third it's partially our fault though we got to certain points of the journey that we fell in love with and we were going to spend two days in and instead we spent like a week <laughs> if you do have a month here though i reckon you could squeeze in more of the north and the east if you had a strict itinerary you can actually fit a lot more in we've really taken our time here because we wanted to enjoy the bits that we loved as much as we could but now like you said we've just got an excuse to come back and do it all over again and just check out some more of it Oh, 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 oh,
Thank you so much for listening to Where Are You Taking Me, our episode from Sri Lanka. I'm Nick King. And I'm Gabby Lyons. You can follow more of our adventures and my collage of dogs from Sigaria Rock on Instagram at Where Are You Taking Me Pod and on Facebook. We just want to throw a massive thank you to all the people who had a chat to us in this episode. Thanks to the team at Hangtime Hostel for letting us sit around and record our podcast in their communal space. From here, we're crossing the world saying farewell to Asia. We're moving on to a whole new continent, which is super exciting. Mm -hmm. I think that the title for this episode, Sri Lanka Lanka Burning Love, has been my favourite title to date because I do have a lot of love for Sri Lanka. But of course, the next stop, we're actually heading to the Middle East. I think we're going to need a new theme song. So it's around about 10am, we're at Colombo International Airport. In about 40 minutes we have to get a flight to Kuwait, of all places, in the Middle East. And Gabby, you're busy throwing a tantrum. Yes. What's wrong with your face? (laughs) I'm heartbroken to be leaving Sri Lanka. (laughs) There was a moment yesterday when we travelled back up to Colombo where you... Your face kind of turned upside down. It hasn't gone back the right way. (laughs) I'm not ready. Today's new country day. I know. So why are you so sad? Because I love Sri Lanka. I've been telling you this for the last month. I love it here. I'm not finished with it yet. I feel like I've just had a taste test. I finally understand the culture and I'm not ready to leave. Okay, you got our ID system now. Can we try smiling? No. (laughs) It's going to be a long flight. (laughs)